the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. So far in Luke chapter 21, Jesus has been sharing with his disciples that God's plan was not to bring justice against Rome, but that he would save the world from their sins. Jesus shared that mankind would persecute his disciples and reject even his second coming. Communion was instituted at the Passover feast during the last supper Jesus would have before being betrayed into the hands of the religious leaders. Jesus told them that they were to have a new mission that would last the rest of their lives. In preparation of this mission, they were to pack a sack and be ready to travel sharing the gospel with everyone. Jesus is about to go to the cross. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 22, verse 47. Well, the Passover by this point is long finished. The time of preparation for the coming trial that the enemy, Jesus had said, hey, the enemy has asked permission to toss all you guys up in the air and he's been given it. Well, the time of preparation for that trial, it's, it's over. It's run out. The lies of the enemy will now give way to reality. When the enemy tosses everyone's life into the air, where they land will depend on who they've been leaning on up to that point. You know, most of our battles, they're not lost because we don't want good things. I mean, yeah, I'm sure some people wake up and they say, I really, really want to wreck my life today. But I think for the most part, many people wake up and, you know, and they say, I want to be a good parent or I'll be a good spouse. I want to walk with the Lord or I want to I have, have, have a good day, whatever it might be. I want to be nice to my boss, whatever. You know, most of us tend to wake up and, and say, I want to I do the right thing. We don't usually fail or lose the battle because that's the, you know, we don't want good things. It's usually because we're trusting in our way to accomplish them. And so as we see how poorly the disciples fare and how solid our Savior is in the heat of the battle, may we lay aside leaning on our own understanding and decide to lean solely on the Lord and His way of doing things. So chapter 22, we pick it up in verse 47. It says, And while He, Jesus, yet spake, He came to find them sleeping again. He said, why are you sleeping? In verse 46, rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The phrase there, behold, it means a change in something. It means, check this out, pay attention, whoa, what, what just happened? And, and so as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, you know, asking them why they're sleeping when they should be praying, 
It says, Behold a multitude. Jesus begins to see the torches descending from the temple into the Kidron Valley. Um, if you go to Israel with us some year, you'll we'll be in that spot in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you'll get a clear view of the Temple Mount. You'll be able to see where Jesus would have seen exactly those torches coming down the backside of the walls and coming to the garden. He sees that and that he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, was going in front to show the way. Jesus sees Judas directing this entire group with their torches and their weapons to the olive press where he and the disciples were. And can you imagine how, what it would feel like seeing one of your closest friends marching towards you with all these soldiers? And then it gets worse in verse 48, or at the end of verse 47, it says that when Judas got there, he drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a, with a kiss? Before Judas could greet Jesus with that kiss of friendship, that kiss on each cheek of hospitality that's so well known in that culture, the Lord confronts him. Are you really going to go through with this, Judas? And are you going to do it this way? It's interesting, the other gospel writers tell us that Judas ignored the question that Jesus asked and simply said, oh, master, master, and then kissed him as if everything was fine. To which Jesus replied, Judas, why are you here? Why was Judas there? We know why Judas was there. To earn some cash. That's why Judas was there, to earn some money, even if it put those who counted him a friend in great danger. This is why the Bible calls Judas a child of destruction, the son of perdition. Judas had this last opportunity here to repent. Jesus says, are you really going to go through with this? Are you really going to do it with a kiss of friendship? That's how you're going to betray me. And that was a last shot for Judas to repent. But instead, he chose to ignore everything the Lord said, pretend like he didn't say any of those words, and go on his way. Judas, by doing this, embodies what it means to be someone who does not fear God. Someone who loves only what they want and doesn't love what God wants. Judas embodies a life lived, leaning on my own understanding instead of taking the Lord into account. He, like the Antichrist, who will bear the same title, the only other person we know of that gets that title of son of perdition. He, like the Antichrist, embodies a life of defiance and unrepentance to the end, sons of destruction. If you're here today and you've been defying the Lord, doing things your own way, leaning on your own understanding, please don't be a child of destruction. That's not why God created you. God created you for something better. Now, after the kiss, we know from the other gospel writers that Judas drops the ruse and he takes his stand with the soldiers And at that point, the rest of the disciples realize what's going on. Verse 49, Luke 22. Now, when they which were about him, the disciples, saw what would follow, when they realized what was about to happen, that Jesus was going to be arrested, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? You have to admire their courage. They're outgunned. They got two swords. Remember, we learned that last week. It's not like everybody's got a weapon to pass around. They've got two swords. You know, someone said last week, I thought it was two swords each. Two swords. They're outgunned. They're outtrained. These are, these are fishermen and tax collectors and whatever. You know, they're not, they're not insurrectionists. They're not trained soldiers. But you also have to admire not just their courage, but their loyalty to Jesus. 
They still look to him for direction. Lord, shall we smite with the sword? What do you want us to do here? Most of them did. Look at verse 50. (laughs) And one of them, this is a modern translation, said, You only live once! (laughs) One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. John, it seems to me that John and Peter had some kind of rivalry growing. Because Luke, like Matthew and Mark before him, only say, and one of these guys. But like when you read John's gospel, John just flat out goes, yeah, and Peter, so we know it's Peter. John does this, though, long after Peter's been martyred. We have to look at this and everything we've learned so far about Peter. You, have you ever had a time in, in your life when you thought to yourself, this is my moment? Like, have you ever had that? That's what's going through Peter's mind right now. That's what's going through Peter's mind. This is my moment, you know? Like, you know, if you watch the NCAA tournament at the end, they always show the highlights to one shining moment, you know, the song. This is Peter, the music is cueing in the back of his mind, you know? He's seeing everything in slow motion, you know? This, this is his moment, okay? I'm going to show everyone what I'm made of. And it's why Peter ends up betraying the Lord just as badly as Judas did later on, because he leaned on his own understanding. Peter doesn't ask the Lord what he wants. He doesn't wait for the Lord's answer if they should strike. Peter so badly wanted to prove Jesus wrong, that he was better than the other disciples, that, that, that he wasn't going to fail in this all-important moment. That's where this idea was birthed of him taking the sword and attacking these soldiers. This idea was not born from God, but from his own heart. It was birthed by his own self-seeking envy and pride. And thus, Peter takes the tools that Jesus did tell them they needed, but he uses them for his own purposes. And I tell you, Peter's not the last one to do that. (laughs) To take the tools that God said we need and to use them for their own purposes. This stage is a tool, a tool that we need. We need Bible teaching. There there are many people who would say, you know, well, you know, this is just, there's so many bad pastors out there and so many fallen pastors or so many false teachers or so many people that consider themselves to be high and mighty, whatever. We just need to drop that whole thing and and we just need to, we'll we'll gather around in small groups and homes and everybody gets to share. There's one small problem with that wonderful 70s idea of community. It's not biblical. The Bible says that Jesus gave unto the church gifts. And he said some of them are pastor teachers. We need that. I need you. You're stuck with me. But those tools, they can be used for my own purposes. They can be used for your own purposes. And so in the end, when you do that, like Peter did here, in the end, Peter performed an evil work that Jesus had to repair even though he was using the tools that Jesus said you need. You know, much is done in the name of Christ by those who genuinely believe they're doing it for Christ, but are in fact doing it out of their own heart and performing evil works as a result. How do we avoid that? (laughs) 
Because that doesn't sound good, does it? Like, I don't want Jesus having to be picking up all the ears I'm lopping off, right? I don't want to be doing I don't want to be the Christian that's off chopping off ears, you know? How do we avoid being that kind of a Christian, using the tools that God gives to us for our own purposes? Well, turn to James chapter 3 with me. We read the whole chapter, but I want to focus in on, for our scripture reading, but I want to focus in on last few verses, verses 13 through 18. Most of us think we understand things that other people just don't get. Like we know what's going on, or we know the answer to whatever problems are out there, whether it's our, our culture, our country, people's marriages, people's parenting, work situations, whatever. Most of us think that we understand things that other people don't. However, most of us don't tend to voice them uh, publicly. That all changed, of course, with social media. Now we all voice all our opinions, you know, about everything. And Beverly always tells me, she goes, we were not meant to know what everyone's thinking all the time. That's why the Bible says a fool speaks his full mind. Verse 13, James 3. Who, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So who is that person who's really got it figured out? It explains here. Let him show out of a good conversation, a good conduct, his works with meekness of wisdom. So who is really that person who understands what's going on, who really knows what to do, who has true wisdom? That will be proven who that person is by their conduct, by their works that show a meekness of wisdom. Now, meekness is an interesting word. Uh, I've heard someone say it's, it's strength under control. And that, that is a good definition, but it, it misses the point of what, why you need to be in control or under control. Meekness is the idea that I could get you right now. Like I've got all the tools in my arsenal to completely blow you away but I'm going to be in control right now and not necessarily do so. So it, it kind of combines humility with self-control, okay? Meekness is that. It's kind of humility combined with self-control. So who's the person who really understands how life works, who really understands what to do? Well, they'll show it by their conduct, by their way they live their life, by their works that are displayed with a, a humble self-control. So how do we avoid taking the tools that Jesus has given to us and using them incorrectly or using them in a way that he has to clean up our messes? Well, number one, we need to live out what God says we're to do. We, we need to live out God's commands. We need to be focused on that first. You know, it's easy to, to say, well, if I were in charge, you know, or, or if, if they came to me, or, you know, if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. Okay, that's great. What about the situations you are in, though? What about your marriage, your parenting, your walk with the Lord, your witnessing? Where are you at with your conduct? You know, it starts with living out what God says I'm to do first instead of worrying about what everybody else needs to do. For it says in verse 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then you should not boast. In other words, you, you, you know what to do, that you've, you've got it figured out. Don't lie against the truth. For that kind of wisdom, that type of thinking, that type of conclusion making, those type of answers, it does not descend from above from the Lord, but it's earthly, sensual, self-oriented. It's devilish. For where envying and strife is, that's, there is a confusion in every evil work. 
You know, if you're looking at a situation, you go, well, if I were in charge, or, you know, if I was in that situation, okay, that, well, that's being not birthed from God. That's being birthed from somewhere in here that comes from an, a heart that's filled with strife and envy. It, it comes from a heart that's filled with bitterness over the fact that you're not in that situation, that you don't get to make that decision. You know, people have said to me before, you know, oh, you know, you know, well, you know, what would you do if you were president? And I, and I would say, quit. <laughs> I, I don't want the job. I don't want that responsibility. I don't envy the decisions that have to be made by them. You know, I, I won't comment on the attractiveness of presidents or whatever. All I know is that I remember when President Obama went into office, he looked a lot way younger than he did when he left it. I look at him now and he looks like a man who's 10 years older than he is. I don't envy the decisions that had to be made in that spot. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. The word there, pure, refers to motive. First off, we need to live out what God says I'm to do first. But secondly, I need to live out what God says to do, not so people see me doing it, but because I want to please God. I'm not to live out what God says to do, so everyone looks around and goes, wow, what a godly man that is. Wow, he just is always doing what God says. The reason that we're called in, I think it's Colossians 3, to be forgiving and merciful and compassionate towards each other is because if we knew everything that was going on in here and everything that we did, we'd not want to feel that way towards one another. We would look at each other and go, you're a complete failure, loser. So God urges us before we even get to know someone and he says, be forgiving, compassionate, kind, you know, toward the brethren. Our heart's mindset should be geared towards not pointing out their failures and going, wow, why, did they, why would they do something like that? But rather more towards the mindset of, man, I, I need to pray for them. So I need to live out what God says, not so people see I'm doing it. I, I, I'm not supposed to live this life so people think I'm spiritual and then they'll come to me for wisdom. I don't know, I think I had a conversation with someone about this this week, but you know, I, I remember when I was questioning my call as a pastor. The church was young and it was struggling. And, and, uh, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm just not called to this. And, and, you know, and I started sharing this with a couple people and, and most of them, they just kind of chuckled and they said, well, you're a pastor. It's who you are. What do you mean? Well, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you're, you're, you're helping sheep. You know, you're, you're pouring into sheep's lives. You didn't need a congregation for that. So yeah, maybe things are struggling right now, but you, it's who you are. You know, now I didn't have to go around with a sign that said, I want to be a pastor someday, you know, or, Hey, you know, like people used to come to pastor Chuck and they would say, I'm called to be an elder or I'm called to be a deacon. And he would go, okay, go deek, (laughs) go eld, you know, you don't need the title, you know, you don't, you don't need the title to go off and say, what's an elder? It's someone who cares for the spiritual needs of the congregation. You know, you don't need a title to do that. You don't need a title to pour into people's hearts. You don't don't need a title of deacon to go out and serve the practical needs of the congregation. Do you you know what I keep my ear to the ground for? As a pastor who's looking for leaders or looking for people to pour into and invest in in a leadership perspective, I'm looking for who everyone else is talking about. Not them coming to me and saying, I have a call like this in my life. Because if they're coming to me and saying, I've got a call in my life, 
And I've never heard of them before outside of just greeting them and praying for them personally. I've never heard anyone else mention their name. Yeah, it begs the question, if you can't handle pastoring one person, why would you think you could handle 20 or 30 or 100? Well, if I was the pastor of that mega church, man, it'd be, I'd be doing this. If I was the leader of that women's ministry, I'd be doing this. Okay, well, can you, can you lead your daughter? Can you lead your son? So I'm not to live out what God says so people see me doing it, but from a pure heart. If you want to avoid what Peter did here, I need to do it from a pure heart. It just says, I want to please you, Lord. And then next, we see all these attributes. It's peaceable. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not stirring up strife. It's gentle, kind. Easy to be entreated. The word there means um, like if, if you are sharing something with somebody and then they explain something to you and give you their perspective and you go, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. I can, I'm flexible here. That's what it means, easy to be entreated. That you're not just someone who only speaks, you're someone also who listens. I used to formulate all my opinions before I heard someone out when I was younger. The young pastor in particular, they'd come. And I think, well, I've been watching them. You know, I've kind of got them figured out. And man, I, I was wrong nine out of ten times. I don't think that anymore. In fact, I've tried stop trying to figure out what's wrong with everyone. Now I try to think, how can I help that person, Lord? You know, how can I pray for them? How can I be a blessing to my friend? And if that means correcting them in an issue as they talk to me, whatever, hey, then so be it. That's what friends do at times, right? But not ahead of time. I'm thinking, oh, they're opening up to me. Whew, I've been waiting to do this for a while. No. To listen. Be willing to go. Okay. I, I see your perspective there, you know. That's what easy to be entreated means. Full of mercy, not ready to give it to him, but ready to be compassionate towards him. And good fruits, and without partiality. In other words, you don't, you know, you don't treat certain people one way and other people differently, without hypocrisy. And, and it'll show the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So we need to have, if we want to avoid using the tools that God has to lop off, given us to lop off ears, we need to have a kind, gentle, flexible, fair, and merciful attitude towards others. So I need to live out what God says I'm to do first. Focus on me. Then I need to live out what God says out of purity. Not so people can see I'm doing it, but because I want to please him. And then lastly, have this attitude, this kind, gentle, flexible, fair, and merciful attitude towards others. Because when you come from a mindset that if I were in charge, I'd do things differently, or those people need a good talking to, I can guarantee you that you're going to sense God leading you to do something. He is definitely not. I guarantee you, Peter is sitting there thinking, this is my moment. God, this is what I was created for. You know, you know there, there's all sorts of mercy me and, and songs playing through his head going, this is it. This is God's leading in my life. You know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, God's called me to, to speak to so-and-so about this. And I'm starting to listen to them and I go, you don't have a clue what's going on. That is not birth from God at all. You think you've got this spiritual spidey sense from God? 
That's not a spiritual spidey sense. That's your flesh. Because when we stop trying to figure out what's wrong with everyone and we say, Lord, how can I help them? How can I be a blessing to my friend? Then you can hear clearly from the Lord when he wants you to challenge somebody, when he wants you to rebuke somebody, when he wants you to encourage somebody, and when he wants you to pray for somebody. And what I found is most of the time his answer is way different than what my old pseudo-spiritual sense from God would have told me. Hearing from God according to these verses, has way more to do with character than it has to do with gifting. I've had people come and tell me, say, well, I, I just, I hear from the Lord. I don't even know what that means, first off. But, but why, why do you hear, like, we, it's devilish, which is what the scripture says there, because it's like the devil. He wants to be like God. But there's something devilish about us that we, in our hearts, our wicked hearts, that we want somehow to be special. Like, like, like God loving us does not make us special enough. We want something desperate about us to set us apart from everybody else. Like, I'm, I'm unique, you know? I, you know I, I, and it's not that you're not unique and it's not that you're not special. That's not what I'm saying. But when we're looking for something inside of us that inherently like God set us apart and and made us super spiritual compared to someone else in some area to feel good or to feel loved or to feel like we're of value, as long as that's somewhere in here, you're going to lop off ears. You're going to lop off ears. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.